says basically there are two sowers in a field. That field, Jesus says in the explanation of the parable, is the world. Christians have come out of the kingdom of darkness into God's marvelous kingdom of light. What did Jesus care about most? Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Today, we begin a new series of messages called The Kingdom. When we examine Jesus' parables, what are the things he focused on most? On this broadcast, David begins answering these questions with a message called The Parable of the Weeds. We are beginning a series called The Kingdom, and it's for the purpose of giving a message about what Jesus cared about most. Uh, When you look at his teachings, the subject that he most often taught about is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Uh, It's the rule of God in our hearts, which makes us kingdom people. And the church is a group of people who have the reign of Jesus in their hearts, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, living within us as a purposeful group of people who have as our job description to advance the kingdom of God here on this earth. So Jesus' first message in Matthew 4, 17 was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, He ushered in the kingdom We want to spend some time understanding the kingdom. Last week's parable of the kingdom found in Matthew 13, and we're looking at 12 different kingdom parables over the next several weeks, was the parable of the sower and the soils where there are four kinds of hearts where the gospel and the seed of the word of God come to those hearts. There's the hard heart that rejects the seed of the gospel. There's secondly, the shallow heart that does not produce any fruit, the busy heart that crowds out the gospel, but also finally the fourth heart, which is the pure heart that receives the word of the gospel and bears fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. The next parable that Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is the parable of the wheat and the tares. It is a powerful, powerful parable. And if it offends you, which it probably will some of you, would you do me this favor? Would you get mad at the one who told the parable, not me? Because they are from the lips of Jesus And he is the one who taught this. So if he's God in human flesh, this parable must be true. From Matthew, the 13th chapter, verses 24 through 34 and 36 through 43. Jesus put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weed among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then starting with verse 36, then, the, then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. Jesus answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. 
The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The word of the Lord. It hasn't happened yet in America, but people are waiting for the shoe to drop. It's called bio or eco-terrorism. It's when the enemy of our nation might come and put a contaminant or a pollutant in our water and thus cause the deaths of hundreds, maybe even thousands of people. There are those guarding our nation right now to try to prevent this kind of bio and eco-terrorism. Interestingly, that kind of terrorism existed in Jesus' day. When people hated someone, had a grudge against someone, were an enemy against someone, one of the ways of hurting that person would be in the middle of the night, in a clandestine stealth way, to take the wheat field that someone owned, and remember in Jesus' day it was mostly an agrarian society, so people largely made their money by wheat fields. And the enemy at night would sow seeds of weeds among the wheat. They were called tares. And they would grow up next to one another over the next weeks and months, indistinguishable. They looked exactly alike. The one thing that determined their difference was the tares ultimately would bear no fruit, but the wheat, of course, would. But as that began to be evidenced, it would be too late to separate them. As the reapers would ask, should we go separate the wheats and the tares, the owner would say, no, it's too late. The roots are intermingled, and if you tear one out, you'll tear both out. So bottom line, it was a way to destroy someone's life, someone you really, really hated. Jesus uses this parable knowing that it was something that happened in his day. In fact, Roman law specifically prevented this kind of eco-bioterrorism. As late as the 19th century in Irish law, there were laws preventing this kind of echo and bioterrorism. It was a real event that happened when Jesus was giving this teaching. But of course, Jesus was using this for a different purpose. He was trying to teach us something about the kingdom of God. As you look at the Bible and its many teachings about the kingdom of God, you see that deuces are wild. What does that mean? It means that everything seems to boil down to an either or. For example, in Matthew 7, Jesus says that there are two roads in life. There's a wide road and a lot of people are on it. It's a road where lawlessness is the norm and people do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it. Juxtaposed to that road is a narrow road. And Jesus said not many people are on that road. 
It's a road with limits, with boundaries, with God's moral law guiding the pilgrims. Jesus said there are two doors as a part of those two roads. At the end of the wide road is a door that leads to destruction. On the narrow road, there's a door that Jesus says is himself, and that road leads to life. Obviously, there are two destinations of those two roads. One road leads to destruction. The other road leads to eternal life. Then Jesus turns to this parable where he's describing two different kinds of citizens in two different kingdoms. There are two people either in the citizen of the kingdom of God or a citizen of the kingdom of darkness. In 1 Peter 2, 9, Peter talks about how Christians have come out of the kingdom of darkness into God's marvelous kingdom of light. And you're either a citizen of one of those two kingdoms. Then more specifically in this parable, Jesus continues the teaching that deuces are wild. He says, basically, there are two sowers in a field. That field, Jesus says, in the explanation of the parable, is the world. Many have debated through the years, does that include the church? I think it does. It's a parable about what's happening in the world, but also specifically in the church. It's a both and. And in this world, there are two sowers. The first sower is the son of man, Jesus said. Who's the son of man? It's Jesus himself. He sows the seed of the gospel into the hearts of people. And those people become children of the kingdom of light. The second sower, Jesus says, is the evil one, the devil, the divider, Satan, the destroyer. He has multiple different names in the Bible, but it's always alluding to the same character. It's interesting, we saw Satan last week in the parable of the sower and the soils. He is the one when the word of God and the gospel is dropped on the hard heart. He's like a bird that swoops down and takes the seed away because he does not want people to become children of the kingdom of light. If you look at the Bible more specifically, you'll see that Satan initially was named Lucifer, the angel of light. He was an archangel in heaven. He had one of the responsibilities of leading the worship of Almighty God. But he had pride in his heart. He envied the position that Jesus solely held in eternity. He wanted to rule everything. He wasn't purposeful in desiring to be a part of creation. He wanted to be creator. He wanted to rule everything. And when that was not granted to him, somewhere in the expanses of eternity, he led a rebellion in accordance with Revelation 12 of the angels in heaven. One third became his followers became the demonic legions. Now, just a moment for those of you who are fearful of demonic agencies. You need to know, biblically, there are two good angels for every one bad one. I like those odds. Two to one are in God's command. But nevertheless, there are a number, perhaps even numbering into the thousands of demonic entities who follow Satan's commands. Now, what is this evil one's desire? He is an enemy of God. He hates God. You can see the enemy's job description in John the 10th chapter, verse 10. From the lips of Jesus, he said, the thief comes to kill, 
steal, and destroy. That's his job description. Whatever God has created as good, he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. By the way, Jesus gives his job description in the latter part of that verse. He said, but I came to give life and to give it to you abundantly. Interestingly, in the biblical story, it all begins with creation in Genesis 1 and 2. When you read the story, you see that in original intent, God created everything perfectly. Everything operated good the way God intended it to operate. And then suddenly in Genesis 3-1, you have the first person who shows up on the scene in the biblical narrative being the serpent, the enemy, the rebel, the hater of God. And what does he do? He tempts Adam and Eve to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which basically means to decide in their own hearts what's good and what's bad and to live in rebellion against God. And they did so, even knowing God said to them, the moment you do that, you'll invite spiritual death into the world, you'll be separated from me. There'll not be that union life anymore. And there'll be physical death, dear friends, physical death, cancer, diabetes, multiple sclerosis, all those things are enemy invasions into God's once perfect created order. And the evil one knew that because his job description is to kill, steal, and destroy everything in God's order. So from that moment onward, all of Adam and Eve's progeny thereafter, which is basically you and me, and everybody in the world is born with a bentness toward self, born with a bentness toward rebellion against God. Now, now we do have the image of God stamped on our lives, and that's why even the most rank rebel against God can still do good things. But at the heart of hearts, we're all prideful, and we want the world to revolve around us, and we live accordingly. At the moment of conception, Paul says in Ephesians 2, we're children of wrath under the judgment of God, separated from him. We need a Savior. So there are two sowers, Jesus says. Himself, the son of man who sows children of light, and the enemy, the evil one, who sows children of darkness into this world. I find it fascinating in John, the eighth chapter, Jesus is talking with different Jewish people, largely the authorities, and they are claiming that Abraham is their father. They were birthed out of God's covenant with Abraham, which is true. But look at Jesus' response to them in this rather antagonistic interchange. In John 8, he says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. There are two fathers, the father in heaven and his children who love and follow him, and the father of lies and his children who follow him. I'll never forget my wife, Marilyn, many of you know she's openly shared this, that she was an agnostic and atheist in college. She didn't believe in God. 
What changed her life was reading the eighth chapter of C.S. Lewis' classical work, Mere Christianity. What is that chapter about? It's his chapter on pride. He says in this chapter that the devil became the devil because of pride. He wanted the position of Jesus. He wanted the world to revolve around him. And that's what caused his rebellion. Marilyn has told many of you that her faith pilgrimage began when the Holy Spirit convicted her heart and made her realize she was a child of the father of lies. She was on his team promoting his cause. And that's what broke her heart and made her open to the gospel of Jesus Christ and her conversion as a child in the kingdom of light. Two sowers, two kinds of children, and two bundles, Jesus says. Uh, Interestingly, in the world and in the church, the tares and the wheat grow next to each other, and it's hard to distinguish between the two. There are people who say they are Christians, and they're not any more Christians than man in the moon. They don't really live for Jesus. They just say, I'm a Christian. It's a slab they placed on their outward veneer. But it's hard to judge who is and who isn't. And that's what Jesus meant in Matthew 7, 1, when he said, judge not, lest ye be judged. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with a new Davidism. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, just wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of hope, David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, uh, we all been phenomenal for us. Uh, you, you've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen, and, and that kind of grew into the Dream Center and the meals we've fed the last eight weeks, probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bo? Yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the, the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Tom Westboro and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals, and, and we just thank you moments of hope and just this couldn't be this wouldn't be possible without you guys and you know uh the the first call we made uh when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the moments of hope and it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes and so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um everything you all do for us and for the kingdom and not only that but you uh, also set into our kitchen in the dream center now this week started producing meals there, and as the restaurants open back up, all the meals were shipped to the Dream Center with the kitchen you helped us do. So we're so grateful you guys. God bless you. God bless Moments of Hope, and we just pray an unlimited return harvest on the seeds you sowed into this ministry. Thank you very much. 
I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, Jen. It's great being with you as well. Well, in your morning e-devotions, you have recently started a series that you're calling Davidisms. And one I recently read said, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head. (laughs) Could you explain this a little bit for us? I'll be more than happy to. Uh, This one comes from my mom. Uh, She said it repeatedly. Again, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but here's the second part. But you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. I like that. So important, something we all can learn from, something we parents should teach our children as well. What does this mean? Well, it means you can't control what people say or do, or you can't keep bad things from happening to you. That's just a part of this world. Or the evil one from tempting your soul or sinful thoughts from entering your mind. Again, this is a fallen, broken, corrupted world. We live in it. We have broken, fallen, corrupted bodies. We interact with other broken, fallen, corrupted people. So there are going to be tribulations in this world. That's what Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world, you'll have tribulations. You're going to go through tough stuff. All these things are going to happen to anyone who is breathing right now. Guess what, folks? That's everyone. But here is what you can do. You can keep the angry or tempting thoughts from laying a nest in your head, from becoming a thought you dwell on, from building a home in your head where they grow and fester. My wise mom said this same truth in another way, nip it in the bud. <laughs> you know, when a problem area comes, when a temptation arises, nip it in the bud. Another way of saying the same thing, Jen, is stop it before it starts. Mm-hmm. That's what she's trying to say here. She was teaching me and all of us today to stop bad thinking before it starts, to choose to usher the angry, lustful, or dangerous thoughts out of our minds immediately the moment they enter to put up a no vacancy sign in my brain. And here's what she was trying to say in a nutshell. Bad thoughts aren't welcome here in my mind. Mm -hmm. Stop it before it starts. Nip it in the bud. You can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. When you do that, those negative thoughts no longer have power over you. You've stopped them in their tracks and they've never had time to do any damage to your soul. And you know what, Jen? Hmm. If you you practice this truth for my mom, they never will. One more time, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. Nip it in the bud. That's so good. That is awesome advice because even though we're followers of Jesus, we are still in this world. And I like how you put that. We're still going to have trials. We're still going to have our feelings hurt. So this is really good. I'm thinking replacement theology would be gratitude. Fill your mind and your thoughts with gratitude. As you put that, do not trespass sign up. Make the list of of things to be grateful for. Absolutely, Jen. And when those bad things happen, a bad thought enters your mind, a lustful feeling comes into your soul, uh, someone steps on your toes, whatever it might be, and you know it's going to happen, you're ready when it happens. And therefore, you can choose beforehand how you're going to respond, and you can nip it in the bud. That's so good. Thank you so much, David. You're welcome, Jen, and thank you listeners for joining us today. If you'd like to receive a daily written moment of hope, go to momentsofhopechurch.org and you can subscribe there free of charge from my heart to yours to help you begin each day with a moment of hope. 
This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service, and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also, check out David's weekly Hopecast. They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for the teachers across America 